Good morning to you, East Campus. It's been a while since I've been with you. It's been a while since some of you have been here with you. I'm excited today to preach to your eyeballs and your foreheads. What an opportunity. And y'all have good foreheads too. Me, not so much, not so much. And good morning, Boulevard Online. I'm so glad to be with you. I'm standing in today for David Young, who's out of town. I know we haven't met, but I am so glad to be with you. I'm David Hunziker, one of the ministers at the West Campus. And today... We talk about Thanksgiving, how to get better at giving thanks. You know, I love this time of year because I love to watch children receive gifts. Anybody else enjoy watching a child get a gift? I do, but probably not for the same reason you're thinking. Sure, I like to see them excited, but I like to see them receive a gift because I can tell you to the detail what will happen when they do. Especially if the gift is given by somebody who's not their parent. Here's what happens every time. North Boulevard, y'all are so predictable. Here's what happens every time. The person will give the gift. It could be something as small as a piece of candy. The child reaches for the gift. They just grab it. They haven't even had time to unwrap it. And boom, the child's mom appears right beside the child. Or the dad, but I'm just going to pick on the mom. So she appears beside the child. She bends down and she either claps or she pats her leg. So some kind of an urgent, nervous gesture to the child. The child from the top here touches the gift. Mom appears. She's patting. She's clapping. And she asks the same question with the same inflection every time. Do you know the question? Okay, you do know the question. So here it is. Gift is coming. Child touches it. Mom appears out of nowhere. She bends down. What do you say? Every time. And I told myself when I became a dad, I was not going to parent my child that way. But alas, you should have seen me taking them trick-or-treating on the 31st. I was running behind a three-year-old ladybug, a five-year-old soldier, and a six-year-old blue Power Ranger to 20 different front porches. What do you say? What do you say? Every time. It is the only way to teach a child to be thankful. That's what you have to do. For 18 years, you have to chase them and ask, what do you say every time? And I watch the child, and sometimes it's harder for the children to be thankful, like when they get Whoppers instead of Kit Kats for Halloween, or when they get sweaters instead of a toy for Christmas. And the truth is, adults are just big kids, aren't we? There are times when it is much harder to be thankful. There are times when it is really hard to be thankful. When you're tired, when you're sad, when you're scared, when you're concerned about the future, when you're concerned about your children's future. It's hard to be thankful. For some, maybe for many, 2020 will be the most difficult Thanksgiving yet. It won't be easy. It's like the year when you might say, I'll take the turkey, but I'll pass on giving thanks this time. It can be hard. But like any virtue, gratitude is a virtue, by the way. Like any other virtue, gratitude is most necessary when it is most difficult. It's most necessary when it's most difficult. If you read your Bible a lot, you understand how unavoidable gratitude is. We read so many scriptures like this one from Colossians chapter 3. 
And whatever you do, whether in word or, do, or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And as you read your Bibles, and I know you do, you just be, become uh, immersed in gratitude. You really begin to see how gratitude and the Christian's identity are intermingled. It's part of who we are. That gratitude is expected. That for the Christian, gratitude might not always come easily. It might not always come quickly. It might not come naturally. But for the Christian, gratitude always comes. It's who we are. It's who God has made us to be. So I believe as the year has gotten difficult, more and more so difficult, we need to answer a question. I'm going to ask you one to get this sermon kicked off, but I do want you to answer this honestly, like we always say. Here's a question for you to consider. Has 2020 exposed weakness in your thankfulness? Or to put it a different way, have you found yourself drifting from a spirit of gratitude and toward a spirit of grumbling? Have you found yourself doing that this year? More grumbling than gratitude. It would be natural to do that, by the way. And you would be in good company. I believe many of us have found that happening pretty naturally this year. So I just want to be up front. I have really one goal this morning. I want to take the written word of God and help us all get better at giving thanks. Because we're really not going to be able to stay where we once were. After a year like this, or I should say during a year like this, we will either give up on gratitude or we will get better. And so this morning, let's just look at the written word of God and commit to getting better at giving thanks. There's a bit of a progression uh, as we try to mature in gratitude. I think the progression works like this. Uh, disciples of Jesus, and just pause actually, let me just say something. I will be talking today to disciples of Jesus. If you're here or you're watching online and you are not a disciple of Jesus, I'm so glad that you are with us. But I'm addressing this to disciples because it's expected of disciples of Jesus, all right? If you're not a disciple, I think you'll learn as we go. But disciples of Jesus give thanks for the good, maybe that's step one, in the bad and until the very end. That's where we're headed this morning. Let's start off with for the good. And I know that seems evident and it probably seems elementary, but if you turn to Luke 17 with me, you're going to see that there's something behind that that actually is a little bit more difficult than we once imagined. So this is the story from Luke 17. Why do we give thanks for the good? Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. That just means he's in the northern portion of the country at this point in the story. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy saw him. They met him. Leprosy is a highly contagious and devastating disease. These men would have been uh, living on their own. Many of you know, if you grew up in the church, we talk about leprosy often. Uh, it's in the Bible a lot. These men would have been living off on their own. They would have been in their own colony, separate from their families, from their societies. And they meet Jesus knowing he's a miracle worker and that he's healed people before. They stood at a distance. They're socially distancing to be respectful here. And they call out in this loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he did something very different. Jesus didn't approach them. He sometimes touches people that he heals. Sometimes he would say a prayer over them. But in this instance, he just says, go show yourself to the priests. And that's significant because if they're clean and they show themselves to the priests, they would get a clean bill of health and they could return home. 
They could return to their society. Go show yourselves to the priest. Now, as they went, they were cleansed. Luke kind of leaves us wondering here. If we're in the northern portion of the country, maybe the priest is in Jerusalem in the southern portion of the country. That's a two-day journey. They could have been traveling for quite some time. They could have only been traveling for an hour or maybe less. But I want us to imagine that maybe they've been walking for a while. And as they've gone, they're, they're cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. Which means, don't miss this, he put his bright new future on hold for a minute. He put the stuff that he really wanted to enjoy on hold, and he turned around, and who knows how long he walked, but he came back to God praising in a loud voice, and Jesus asked a few questions. Now, the questions kind of point at Jesus' feelings. He's really not pleased, and you don't need me to tell you that. You're smart people. He asks this first question. He says, we're not all ten cleansed, and that's kind of sarcastic. Like Jesus is saying, I thought I sent out enough power to heal ten people. Did I mess up? Then he asked this second question because something is incomplete. Something is really incomplete at the end of the story. It's the same thing that you mamas feel when you bend down and you say, what do you say? You do that because something would be incomplete if we didn't say thank you, wouldn't it? Jesus asked this second question. He says, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Very convicting question. There's a lot of tension at the end of this story. Where are the other nine? It's not that the other nine weren't thankful, let's be honest. That Jesus is all-knowing. If he had closed his eyes and just fast-forwarded to, to Jerusalem and he was watching these other nine guys, you know what they would be doing. They're dancing in front of the priest. They're so excited to be healed. They're running home. They're, they're hugging their kids. They're maybe kissing their wives for the first time in years. It's not that they weren't thankful. But the tension at the end of this story, I think Andy Stanley, I've got to give him credit for this sentence. I think he really summarizes it really well when he says this. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. That's so important for relationships. In all of your relationships, Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. The problem wasn't that they didn't feel thankful. The problem was that they didn't give thanks. And I'm, I'm saying that this is important for every relationship because I have personally experienced it. Two and a half years into my marriage, Kristen gets up one morning and we're doing the normal morning routine, but then something wasn't all that normal. She looked at me and she said, I sometimes just don't feel very appreciated. Now she's said it with a half grin. She was very gentle, but just said, sometimes I don't feel appreciated around here. And I said, that's funny. I felt thankful for you every day. She said, why don't you say anything? I don't know. I don't know. But the truth remains, if you're feeling it, but you don't express it, something is incomplete. And that's why Jesus is feeling this tension at the end of the story. They had run off to enjoy the gift. But that's only part one. I think you should notice, enjoyment honors the gift. Gratitude honors the giver. And we here understand that the gift is actually given so that you would have relationship with the giver. That that's what completes the circle when we're thankful. So we give thanks for the good that we have in our life because something is incomplete if we don't. We honor the giver when we give thanks. The second reason we give thanks is to remind ourselves that we have received, we have not 
earned. I should say uh, quickly, when I got the opportunity to go to Brazil in 2012, I had been in 2010, I learned these uh, stories really quickly in like one meal, how important gratitude really is. Uh, so we, we sat down at our first meal back in Brazil. Again, we had been there before, so this host family provided this banquet. I mean, like quite a large spread of food for us when we came back. About 40 people had gathered from the local churches, people that we had made friends with before. I sat in front of this meal. I was really hungry because I had been traveling that day. And I took the first helping and ate it pretty quickly. I signaled for a second helping. And everyone around the table, not trying to embarrass me, but they all enjoyed the fact that I, the American, was wanting more cassava, wanting more, uh, more of the tea, more of the meat. And so they, they pat their bellies and they laugh like, ah, this American's really enjoying this food. And the, the, the cook who really provided the meal was the grandmother of the family. Her name we call Va. That means grandma in Portuguese. Well, Va gave me the big, biggest smile. I mean, like a really big smile that I was enjoying this meal and going for a second helping. It was really sweet. Well, as I finished the second helping and everybody kind of finishes their portion of the meal, the local missionary, Mark, leans over to me and he says, I'm going to count to three and I want you to do something traditional here in Porto Alegre. I said, what is it? He said, you're going to stand up and yell out in Portuguese. Man, I was so nervous. So you're going to stand up and yell out this phrase, palmas para os cozineros. All right. That's intimidating, man. I don't speak Portuguese. I don't even know what it means. So I said, Mark, I can't, I don't know. He said, one. I said, come on, man. Two, three. So I stood up. I trusted this local missionary. I figured it wasn't anything bad. And I shouted out and I clapped my hands. I said, palmas paras us cuzineros. And everyone began to laugh and they stood and they cheered, not to me. But they faced Va, the grandmother, and they clapped their hands wildly and hooped and hollered. And she made a beeline to me. She hugged me. She kissed me on the cheek. And then I sat down. Well, Kristen was sitting beside me. She said, what did you just say? I said, I have no idea. So I said, Mark, what did I just say? He said, you just did the traditional end of the meal phrase. And that is clap for the cooks. Clap for the cooks. And I was like, that explains why Va just kissed me then. And you know, when we clap for the cooks, we're saying, hey, I enjoy the meal. I took a second helping. I love the meal. But Va, I love you. You see the difference? I love the meal. And that's why she was happy when I was enjoying the, the meal. But Paul Maspara says, Va, I love you. And something is incomplete. Enjoying what Jesus has given you is so important. You know he wants you to. Every gift that he's given. But something is incomplete until we say, but Jesus, I love you, the giver. So when we give thanks, it's because we want to honor the giver. Also because we want to remember that we have received, we have not earned. This is that time for your annual reminder, church. It's the Thanksgiving season where we look to the same passages and we remind ourselves everything we have comes from God. You understand that? Uh, James is the brother of Jesus and he says it like this. Every good and perfect gift is from above. From above. Everything you have. It comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. And man, we're, we're a proud people. And we like to combat that verse by saying, no, nah, we've earned what we have. We've worked hard, and you have. I have what I have because I've worked hard, or I've been responsible, or I have held myself in, in a good way. 
And that's where the prophet Moses comes in with that big right hand, right? And he says it like this. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And that's something. And so confirms his covenant, the way in which he keeps his promise to you and provides for you. Everything you have, if you have an education, it comes from God. If you live in a house, it comes from God. If there are people in your life who support you, a family, a friend group, a church, a life group, it comes from God. If you have a car, it comes from God. If you're wearing clothes, by the way, thank you for wearing clothes, it comes from God. Everything. And giving thanks is our way of saying we have received. We have not earned. We've received everything we have. And to complete the circle, we give thanks. But I'll also say this. Disciples of Jesus give thanks for the good. But 2020 requires that we mature from this, doesn't it? Like not, not that we move on from it. We always give thanks for the good. But that we grow up in gratitude a little bit. Because 2020 is making things more difficult. Some of you have experienced years like this. But for the majority of us, like this is the hard year. This is a challenging year. And if we stay here, we're in trouble. So we got to move on. Disciples of Jesus give thanks for the good. Disciples of Jesus give thanks in the bad as well. In the bad. And I'll point you to a verse that shows this is biblical language. We give thanks in the bad from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It's not an easy verse. Like, brace yourselves. If you just read it and move on, then okay, it's an easy verse. It's really not an easy verse. It's really not. And it's not an easy verse right now. But we go there anyway because we're, we're getting better today at giving thanks. Here's the verse. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is where you interact for just a second with me. When we read it again, will you say the word all? Okay, good. Let's do it again. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Now we give thanks in all circumstances, including the bad ones. Including the I cannot believe we are here ones. Including the what just happened ones. Including the how will we survive this ones including the what will come of it and how will this affect our future ones. We give thanks in all circumstances. We do that for a host of reasons, like a lot of reasons, but I'm going to give you three of them. The first one is already on the screen. We give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. It's God's will for your life. It is, as I'd like to say, it's God's will for your character for who you are to become. At North Boulevard, we're so fortunate because there are role models everywhere. Role models everywhere. There are role models who are living in the will of God for their lives by giving thanks in all circumstances. I just want to point you to a couple that's very special to me, Glenn and Diane Norman. If you've ever visited the West Campus, and I know I'm seeing faces of many who have at least come by, Glenn is the big guy in the overalls. Huge heart, big smile, big welcoming man. His wife is so sweet, pure gold, Diane. And Glenn has been fighting cancer for a few years now. In 2020, it got worse, much worse. His body has been just absolutely robbed of its energy. He's been in pain, uncomfortable. 
He's changed procedures and ways to address the issue, and it's just really gotten worse. So last Sunday, I went over to Glenn and Diane's back deck. I didn't go alone. I actually went with their life group. And by the way, isn't that special to have a life group? We don't do life alone. We don't suffer alone. So I went uh, to the back deck with a life group. We circled around, and Glenn and Diane, you'll see pictured. Glenn has the, the blanket over his lap, and they gave thanks. The life group and myself, we offered our encouragements to Glenn. We prayed. We sang songs. And with any of the energy that they could muster, they sang too. Glenn, Diane sang. We sang songs that you're familiar with. One of them, if you've been around North Boulevard for a while, you're very familiar with. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Right? Heir of salvation, glory divine. Well, when we got to this part of the song, I could hear Diane's voice as clear as I've ever heard anybody sing when she sang these words. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is who we are. And when Glenn and Diane gave thanks in the bad, in the hardship, not after it, but in it, they're living in the center of God's will for their life. They have become who God wanted them to become. That's like faith, grounded in gratitude, no matter what, no matter what. It's beautiful. It's inspiring. And like we admire when we see that because it's helpful to the whole church. I called Diane. I said, can I tell the story? Because it helps everybody. It helps all of us when you do that. The Apostle Paul doesn't just ask you to do it, by the way. He practiced what he preached. Uh, so he would be beaten and he would give thanks. He was flogged, and he would give thanks. He was put in a dark dungeon, waiting a death trial, and he gave thanks. And it really was like a superpower for the Apostle Paul. It made him unbeatable, unbreakable. If the Jews came against him, they couldn't squelch him. They couldn't squash his spirit. They couldn't keep him down. When the Romans came against him, they couldn't keep him down. They couldn't beat him. Because he would be in a dark pit, he'd give thanks. God would strengthen him and encourage him. And Paul, the Apostle Paul learned something very profound. As he gave thanks every time in difficult circumstances, this is what he learned. When we give thanks, God gives peace. There's a blessing in it for you. When we give thanks, God gives peace. And so he writes to the church, actually while he's in prison, this is what he writes to the church. It's in Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything. That's so hard to do. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I know that we have been praying, some of you, harder than you've ever prayed in 2020 because this has been difficult. The question that Paul asks you, though, is while you submit your prayers and petitions, do you do it with thanksgiving? You do it with thanksgiving. If you do it with thanksgiving, the next thing happens as you turn the page. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you give thanks, God gives peace. It's a promise. It's not the kind of peace, though, that comes in and takes away all your sorrows. It's not the kind of peace, for instance, that would say to Glenn and Diane, hey, Come on, you really don't have anything to worry about. You don't really have anything to suffer about. You don't really have anything hard going on in your life. Get over yourself. Just give thanks. Move on. It's not like that. It's the kind of peace that comes in and provides good company when you're in hard times. It's the Spirit of God that comes upon you that keeps you from being alone. 
in your suffering. So if you had gone to the back deck with us, you would have literally felt the peace of God over Glenn and Diane. There is a presence with them. You get that right. There's a real presence in their home. So we give thanks because when you give thanks, God gives peace. We also give thanks, and here's the third reason, in the bad, because we know that God is not done working until the bad is used for good. He's not done until the bad is used for good. If we've said it once, we have said it a thousand times here at North Boulevard. God will give you a blessing from this pandemic. You could have gotten no other way. God will give us a blessing from the suffering of 2020. You could have gotten no other way. There is a blessing. There is good. Uh, Jesus models this concept as he gathers around his disciples for a final meal. Three times in his life, he had already prophesied what was going to happen at the end of his life. Do you know the prophecy? I'll be handed over. I'll be crucified, buried. I'll rise three days later. So he takes the cup when he's with his disciples. He already knows what this means. He knows that this means somebody has ill will towards him. Somebody wishes bad for him. A group of people will want him killed. He will suffer. Things will be hard. And he takes this cup. It's not a normal meal. He's already designated that this is what that means. He takes it, and we know that he passed it for them to drink. But do you know what he does before that? He takes the cup and he gives thanks. He gives thanks, and then he passes it. And the reason he gives thanks is because he knows that though there are people who wish bad for him, that though there, though there is suffering coming, God will use it for good. God will use it for good. God will use it for such good that the whole world will be blessed by that blood. That you and I will actually have a relationship with God because of that blood. It will be used for good. And he gives, he gives thanks. We give thanks in the good, in the bad. Giving thanks in the bad is not easy. I'll tell you a, a story of a lady. I think we've talked about Corey Tinboom here before, but man, it's hard to preach without talking about Corey Tinboom. She's not always been in such a comfortable type environment, Corey. She was a Dutch Christian, and she and her sister, Betsy, were courageous and compassionate Dutch Christians. Living in Holland, they housed Jews when the Jews were running from Nazi Germany. They were eventually arrested. And they were taken off to Ravensbrück, one of the, the concentration camps. To make a long story short, I just want to highlight something really special that happened in that barrack. This is a picture of what a woman's barrack would have been like um, at the camp. It was nasty. It was terrible conditions. They were nauseous because of the rancid smells. They were malnourished. They were overworked. Everything you know about these camps. Well, one night, they go to sleep. Corey feels something bite her leg. She shoots up. There's not a lot of room to really shoot up in your bed. So she hits her head and she feels another bite and another bite. She looks over at Betsy and she says, something is attacking my legs. They find fleas everywhere in the beds. They find fleas all over the barracks. Nasty. It just makes your skin crawl. And Corey says, I can't live in these conditions. Betsy, being a, a mature Christian, says, God, show us. Show us. What's, what's your will in this? And what should we do with this? 
She opens the Bible to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It's the verse we just read. Give thanks in all circumstances. And the two sisters challenged each other to find something to be thankful for. They thanked God for being together in the barracks. They thanked God for the meal that they did have. They thanked him for the women who were around them. And they thanked him that in their barracks they had been opening a smuggled-in Bible that Betsy brought in. And that many women were surrounding this Bible day in and day out and studying the Bible. Betsy says, now we got to give thanks for the fleas. Corey said, I'm not giving thanks for these fleas. They eventually did. Two weeks later, Betsy was too sick to go out into the concentration camps, so she is assigned to stay in the barracks and to knit socks. She's knitting these socks when she realizes that the size chart's gotten off. She's not sure whose size sock is supposed to go to who. So she steps out of the barracks. She finds the supervisor, and she says, would you come in and help us sort out the sock problem? The supervisor says, no, we supervisors and the guards avoid that place because of the fleas. Betsy runs home, well, to the barracks. When Corey comes in later that evening, Betsy's eyes are huge. She's celebrating. She says, Corey, do you know why we're able to have Bible studies in here and pray and worship in here and no one else is able to do that in any other barracks? And Corey says, no. She says, I overheard the guard say, it's because of the fleas. And they thank God for the fleas. It's so hard to do. And some of us are not as fortunate as to have the answer revealed in like a few weeks or to have the good come in just even your lifetime. Some of us have to wait a long time before the good will come. But as certainly as Jesus rose from the dead, God will use it all for good. You believe that? So we give thanks in the, or for the good. We give thanks in the bad. And here's the final point. We give thanks until the very end. This requires perseverance, doesn't it? To give thanks until the very end. You know, uh, 2020 has gotten a lot of people concerned about when the end will come. I've had more people this year ask me, and I bet you have too. Does this mean the end is near? Is Jesus coming back? And I think our answer to that should at least be similar. And here's the answer. Every generation of Christians must prepare like we're the last generation of Christians. Like Jesus will come. Do you know how to prepare? Do you know how to prepare for him? We say, well... The church needs to be pure, right? We need to repent of our sins. We need to be kind. Show kindness to other people in your lives. But as much as we would say the church needs to be pure and the church needs to be kind, follow this, the church needs to be thankful. You actually prepare for the coming of Christ when you're thankful. Or I like to say it like this. Giving thanks to God prepares you for God to come back when he comes. And there is a sobering warning as to why we must do that found in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. And I'll be quick on this. When Paul is writing his letter to the Romans, he starts off with this really sobering stuff. And he says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. You say, well, what kind of people? And what are they doing? Look at the next few verses. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks. It's people who knew God, but they didn't give thanks to God. All right, and then he says something so dramatic. He says in verse 24, God's response to that is that therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. God didn't welcome them into his kingdom when he realized that they were ungrateful. Here's the most sobering thing on Thanksgiving in the whole Bible. It goes like this. In God's kingdom, the ungrateful are unwelcome. That's worth remembering. 
So if you're beginning right now to flirt with the spirit of grumbling and you're finding yourself really walking away from the spirit of gratitude, I'm not trying to scare you back into gratitude. We have so many reasons to be thankful. But it is worth noting that that spirit of grumbling is evil and it's dangerous and it does not mean good for your life and it won't help you and it is not how we prepare for the coming of Jesus. As much as we would expect the church to be pure and kind, we also must be thankful. Make sense? So, Let's get better at giving thanks. And I tell you, uh, there's so many role models at North Boulevard who give thanks and give like a lot of thanks. I'll tell you about another Diane who worships at the West Campus. This is my second Diane to mention to you today. Uh, Her name is Diane Holden. And she takes up this personal challenge every year. She starts on August 1st. And when uh, August 1st comes around, she puts a big zero in her thankfulness journal By thanksgiving, her goal is to get to a thousand items in that journal. A thousand things that she's thankful for between August 1st and Thanksgiving. That's her goal. In 2018, she was well over a thousand. In 2019, she hit that a thousand mark. 2020's been a little bit harder. I'm picking on you, Diane. She's only in the 290s. Like, come on, girl. 290? Hey, that's way ahead of me. Uh, So I'm just going to, I kind of copied and pasted a few of those items from her thankfulness journal. I just want to show you her attitude of thanksgiving. So here's one of them. Number 242. This is this year. She's thankful to be talking about fond memories with a friend. That's beautiful. The next one, somebody in the house needs to be thankful for this one too. For David Young and his passion to share King Jesus with the world. Are y'all thankful for that as well? Just me? Thank you. He's thankful. All right, the next one. 175, for Mama Mary Hibden, who treats me and Shannon like her own. Beautiful stuff. We love the wives of our elders. All of you treat us like your own. 1,004, so this is from last year. She got over 1,000. Thankful for streetlights. The simple things, man. Have you given thanks for streetlights yet? The next one, for Zoom. Here's another one. I plug these in completely randomly. For David Hunziker and the way he delivers a message from God. That is so good. I don't know how it got in here, though. Man, it, I'm telling you, I just copied and pasted. I didn't even look at it. All right, the next one. 269. For our life group leaders, Rosalind and Moreland Scales and Camille and Tom Beckwith. You thankful for your life group leaders? Anybody? Yes? Maybe? No. No, not around here. We are not. Anyone thankful for your life group leaders around here? <laughs> This is the attitude of gratitude. So I called Diane this week and I said, tell me about this uh, thankfulness journal. And she said, you know, I had to pick a way of viewing life. Like everyone has to pick a way of viewing life. And I just picked gratitude. So what was like a routine drive down the road is now filled with Thanksgiving. She's looking for something to journal. Uh, Like a routine in and out of a gas station or a meal with somebody. I didn't tell you, but that in the summer of 2018, she lost her eyesight. I just tragically went away as she was driving scary enough well relatively quickly she got eyesight back in her right eye but over the last year and a half uh, more she's had three surgeries in that left eye to try to restore eyesight praise God that it's making improvement but for like two years she found more to be thankful for with one eye than I was with two eyes It's the way she decided to live life and to view life. So you might not catch up to her uh, quickly, but here's a way to try to catch up to Diane a little bit. This week, let's start giving thanks. You might consider writing or posting 
something you're thankful for or someone that you're thankful for every day this week. You might also just consider doing what she did, and that is just to sit down with the list and write out as much as you can. I know some life groups, uh, I just had somebody mention to me before the sermon, are texting each other. What are you thankful for? Send in something every day. Send in three somethings every day. What are you thankful for? Why would we do that? Listen, we've never ended a year before without being thankful. And it might be harder, but we can't give up on gratitude now. Let's end 2020 the way all Christians do, the way we always have, and that is with gratitude. So you don't have to sit and wait to give thanks to God anymore. I know you're eager to do so. Would you stand up with us? Let's begin by giving thanks to God again as we sing this morning.